the Let's Go Racing Family Podcast, sharing our love through NASCAR, running, and just racing through life. Hosted by Sebastian, Giovanni, Karen, Tony, and me, Johan. Each week, we'll talk about our view of the world through the lens of racing. Welcome back to another episode of the Let's Go Racing Family Podcast, Race Fans. This week, we actually are recording from Nashville, which, yes, we did get to go to the Ally 400. In fact, right now, we're actually in our friend's basement for the nice acoustics. And since we actually got to go, we actually got to bring our friends and we got to go to the race. It was really fun, cool experience. And it was actually the first race at Nashville in 10 years. And also the first ever Cup Series race. At the Nashville Super Speedway. Yeah. Yeah. And the last Nash, uh, NASCAR Cup Series was, I, I think they said it was over the 34 37 years, years 37 ago. 37 years ago. Uh, and it was won by a Hendricks 5 car. So see how that all plays out when we talk about the race recap later in this episode. So let's start off. We basically planned out a trip here to Nashville, and for the first part of it, we were we hung out around Nashville. We went to Broadway, and we checked out Tootsie's Orchid Lounge, which is a um world famous honky tonk that has actually been around since 1960, and its proprietor was Hattie Louise Tootsie Betts, who bought the lounge called Mom's and named it for herself. And that's a, where we get Tootsies. Tootsies. Yeah. yeah, that's her name. And the per, according to tradition, a painter mistakenly painted the exterior orchid purple, and it remains the signature color of the place to this day. That's interesting because it definitely does stand out when you're looking down Broadway and you see all of these different honky tonks, as they're called, uh, and you see Tootsies. Just it just pops, and it's also multi level too. That was kind of interesting for us. Um, Sebastian and I actually went in, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did. We actually went in, and it was crazy, like how like tight it was with all, with you had the bar and then all the musical performances on the different levels. Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty interesting scene to be be in there. Um, and we went Friday afternoon, and it was still crazy crowded. Uh, but why did we go in? What we were looking for? Daniel Suarez, he was actually driving the number 99 Tootsie Cart. It was very vibrant on the track when we got to see it. It was really cool purple color. I was actually hoping the show car was going to be there on Friday also because we arrived on Thursday and it had been there on Thursday. So when we went out on Friday, I was really hoping that we would be able to take some pictures with the show car. I didn't think that Daniel would actually be there again, but definitely was hoping for the show car to be there. But unfortunately, it was already gone. It was just on Thursday that it was there. Uh, but it was cool to drive by. Like That street, Broadway, was super busy. It was like Friday afternoon, 2 o'clock, and it was busy like it was a Friday night. And so why was Tootsie's sponsoring Suarez's car so significant or important? We, we kind of talked about this, right? Where Johan, where's Justin Marks, co-owner of Trackhouse Racing? Where is he based? Where does he live? Nashville. This is his hometown, right? This was like a coming home for him. And I think I even saw on Twitter he had he had said that this was like the first time like he had his family here. So it was a it was a big deal for him to have his team first year out the gate 
racing in Nashville and then to have a Nashville iconic location be the sponsor, which was which was pretty cool. Wait a sec. What's a honky tonk? A honky tonk is a bar that has live country music being played or performed. And because we're Nashville, the music city, honky tonks are very big in here. So when you guys went in, there were actually like bands playing in yeah. there. So they're playing we were, all the time. They're playing. Yeah, I think they're playing all the time. We we were going in. They were actually transitioning. I guess a, ba- a band was kind of setting up. Um, and then like like I had said earlier, it's multi-level. We never made it to the rooftop. Uh, but on the first like right when you walk in, there was like a setup for somebody to play music. And then there was up at the like on the second level. Right, Sebastian it looked like there was a stage. I didn't see anybody up there, but definitely you probably could put more people. And then I would imagine again, we didn't make it all the way to the top, but I imagine there's another place that you could possibly play music again. Pretty cool to to be there. That is a significant historic uh, landmark for Nashville. The other thing we saw there was the monster truck they actually had in downtown. It was off it was off Broadway uh, and it was in front of another location, but not too it was like walking distance to Tootsie's. It was had... it was in front of the Nashville Predator Stadium. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. It was right there. What what's the name? Do you guys remember the name of that stadium? It's Bridgestone Arena. Where the uh National Predators, the their national the National Hockey League team plays. So yeah, that's right. It was uh Monster Truck was out there and the show car uh for the four. Uh, Kevin, Kevin um, I actually took a picture with it, and I actually went to the hauler, but um, I did buy a Kevin Harvick car, but I was wanting to them to have the Gravedigger car, but they didn't have it. They didn't it. have it? Oh, that's disappointing. Well, I'm sure they'll have it at some point later. What was cool about that, do you remember, you guys heard the story that basically it was like a Father's Day gift to Kevin Harvick for his kid to present, um, I think it's Keelan Harvick, right? Yeah. He presented to his dad the uh, paint scheme. So I think that's that was pretty cool. And, and um, you know, we'll see how well that car did. But I, I have a feeling it did pretty well on Father's Day at Nashville with that special paint scheme. Yeah. And honestly, um, his teammate, Cole Custard, I actually got to, to see him and be right there in front of him before the race. Like they were doing this interview in the Ford Performance Zone. And I got to um, – and I was there. And I asked um and I asked him a question and then I got his autograph on my Let's Go Racing family hat. That's pretty cool. What was the question you had asked him? I asked him what line will you run on the race? Yeah, I remember when you did ask that question. He kind of was taken back because it's like, whoa, this little kid kind of knows what he's talking about. And but and he was pretty honest. He was pretty straight up. He's like, you know what? I don't really know because the track's been changing throughout the weekend. And uh, he said, maybe you could tell me what line to run. Um, so I will say this about, uh, Cole Custer, you know, we, we, as a podcast, you know, you guys aren't, aren't shy about, um, you know, we're, we're honest about what we think about different drivers and different situations. And we've been kind of tough on Cole Custer, but I'll tell you one thing. I'm, he, he gained a, a couple of fans at least, uh, on, on Sunday, uh, cause he was a pretty cool guy. He's pretty, you know, straightforward and, and really friendly with the fans and, the fact that he even did the Q&A and asked, answered a couple of Johan's questions. And, and Gio, I think you even got a question in with him. Yeah, I did. I actually asked him like about what is it like being in the car and do you ever get nervous before a race? And what did he say? He said kind of like, yeah, you do. And if you don't get nervous, you know, you kind of you might be a bit too overprepared or something. Yeah. So I thought that was a pretty cool answer. And again, he was pretty straightforward. And so... I was actually looking forward to him doing well. He actually qualified really well. 
he was in the top 10. I think, Johan, where did he qualify for the race this uh, Sunday? He qualified seventh, and his teammate Amarola was on the pole. Wow. So it looked like Stuart Haas might have found some speed that they hadn't been able to to muster up uh, most of the season. So, yeah. So bottom line is, it's this is one of the things that separates NASCAR, and we've kind of talked about it, that the accessibility to the NASCAR drivers is second to none in professional sports. And I mean, what other sport can you go to a major sporting event and a couple of hours before the event, there's a possibility, just an average fan, because we did we didn't pay special access or or have hot passes or cold passes, which we'd love to do. And NASCAR, anyone you wanna Yeah, I know. <laughs> we're dropping hint here. We'd love to have some cold passes or hot passes. In all honesty though, the thing is we didn't have any special access. Just regular access like everybody else. And we had a chance to meet a couple of drivers and see them. You even saw another driver. I saw Alex Bowman. I was just eating popcorn and then I just saw him walk by. I was like, oh, good luck, Alex. That's so awesome. Again, what other professional sport do you get this kind of accessibility? And and it really helps build fans. And and so I'll tell you what, Cole Custer, if you're if you happen to listen, because that was another thing, our sly little guy over there, Johan, made sure to give you a sticker and a with a, a link to our, our podcast. If you ever hear, hear this podcast, just want to say that kind of stuff that you did on Sunday is what wins you fans. And and uh, we really appreciate it. And we'll be pulling for you. And and hopefully you can get a couple of wins this year and prove to all the naysayers out there that you're not a one-hit wonder. Uh, so it was pretty cool that Johan now has the 2020 Rookie of the Year autograph on his Let's Go Racing family hat. That was actually a pretty cool thing to walk away from Nashville with. Yeah, and honestly, Cole, if you listen to the podcast and like you hear my family um, saying that, like he he really didn't deserve that win at Kentucky. Don't worry, I I I was going with you the whole season. I like like when you first got into NASCAR. I love all the rookies. You're part of the big three in Xfinity. Well, we'll have a change of heart if you want to come on. Email us. Let's go racing family. <laughs> well, no, I will say I, I do. Re- that's one of the things that I really do like about NASCAR. Like you were saying, Tony, is the accessibility to the drivers because it also like it makes them real. You know what I'm saying? Like it's not just these guys that it's you like see, these- like, you know, get into cars and, you know, drive laps it's like you're able to see them and it shows and, they're like people and yeah and they they interact with you like, and so it's yeah it's really cool it's like they're i think it just shows that they're really not these rich donies that walk around and only are in sports and they actually are people and interact with the fans and stuff yeah and these drivers are really nice if alex butman wasn't in a rush i would have asked him for an autograph but he was in such a rush yeah, I mean, I think but at that point it was less than that. You said he race. wasn't even in, in uniform, right? He wasn't in his in his he fire fi- suit. Yeah, he was just in jeans and then his owl outline t-shirt. He must have been heading. I wonder if there was probably some kind of meet and greet thing or Q&A he was doing at one of the other sponsor or I don't know. There, there are all kinds of reasons why they're walking around the track um, before the well, race. But while we were also waiting to go up because we were we were under the grandstands because it was really hot that day. And we yeah. had been there yeah. very early in the morning because we wanted to take in everything that was going on in the morning, all the festivities, the fan zone. So we were relaxing underneath the grandstands um, in the shade. And right where we were sitting, I think, was like the access to... Um, the spotters and some of the other team um, crew, because 
we kept seeing like people from different teams passing us and like going up this like tower behind us. So I think they were like spotters and some other people. So one of the reasons we went like early to this was because A, we wanted to take in the festivities and do all the cool stuff. And B, we wanted to pass out stickers with links to the podcast so that way we can get a new audience. And we, I think we got to pass out lots of stickers to people. Yeah, we got to meet some people, some, you know, NASCAR fans and, and pass out um, stickers and uh, share with them what we were doing. Yeah, and I th- don't know, but we could possibly have some new listeners because of those stickers we passed out. And a NASCAR driver. So if you're listening, welcome. And we hope that you continue listening to us and uh, share with your friends. And one of the people that we met and gave a sticker to was someone that me, Gio, and Johan have... He's pretty well known in the NASCAR community. Yes. And in our family, he's a bit of a celebrity because you guys have been watching him on YouTube for years. Who was that? Erica Stepp. He's a NASCAR YouTuber. He he um first did like NASCAR stop motion and then transitioned to out of the groove and stuff. Just basically then, his show where he recaps the races, talks about silly season and the off season, and it's really fun. His channel is great. And honestly, big shout out to Erica Stepp. And actually, he does NASCAR vlogs. So like, I was just watching one of his videos when I wanted to see if he was going to Nashville Super Speedway, and when I heard that, I was freaking out. You're excited because he's always he's also been pretty friendly on his podcast and his blog and, and his show to say that, hey, I'm he's he's so he's a pretty tall guy. He's not hard to miss at the track. And he's always telling his you know listeners, if you see me, wave me down and, and whatnot. And he took uh, it was happy to take pictures with the whole family. And and also I saw that he had done that with several other fans because he had shared that on his own Instagram stories uh, for that race. So, yeah, so it was really cool to see the NASCAR community kind of come together was hoping to be a part of the meetups there are some t- there are some twitter meetups that they u- usually do at the tracks bob pakaras was one um jeff gluck was another who i reached out to on twitter and they were both kind enough to respond jeff wasn't able to make the race so he wasn't there and bob because of his commitments with tv unfortunately wasn't able to do a, a, a tweet up but hopefully we'll get to meet them in the future and and just appreciate that again as part of this NASCAR community, they were kind enough to even respond and acknowledge us. And we're a small podcast. We're just doing this for fun. And we don't know who might be listening. And so we don't have like this huge audience yet. And so for them to take the time, just again, reaffirms and 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 makes us feel good about NASCAR community at, at large, from the drivers to the fans to other content creators. So again, shout out to... Um, you know, Cole Custer, Alex Bowman, taking the time to say hi and answer some questions and Erica Stepp and other, you know, uh, content creators and, and media that uh, we were able to connect with this this past weekend. So it was, uh, it was a lot of fun from that front. Now let's get into the actual race. So stage one was won by Kurt Busch. But the interesting thing is that he was not the stage winner that we saw. It was Chase Elliott who NASCAR penalized because he got loose nut lug nuts, and it said he had different advantages. He actually like well, I forgot where he actually finished. We actually finished, and then he just finished, outside the top ten. I think the he finished thirteenth on the track, and then NASCAR pushed them to last place because he was disqualified. Yeah, and they said it was like it was like. I'm going to help him, but like, 
How does like loose nut, lug nuts mom have you have an advantage what are you gonna go like 200 more miles per hour now you're going 400 no i i I don't know if it's about weight um i would think honestly it's going to be a disadvantage i think it's more of a safety issue because the thing is if you have a loose lug nut your tire isn't going to be as secure could wobble and end up breaking i think that's one of the things you don't want to have happen is have any kind of loose lug nuts or missing any lug nuts on your car but if you do you run the risk of losing a tire causing an accident, which is a safety deal. So I think that's primarily the reason why um, we'll have to research. And if that's a different answer, we'll talk about it in a future podcast. But I think it has to do with safety. Speaking of losing tires, one of the things that I thought was interesting was in the first stage, there were several cars like spinning out. Some of them lost tires and they were all at like the entrance of turn two. Yeah, the first lap, I know Quinn Hoff, like as soon as we started the race, Quinn Hoff just turned around and lost the tire. Like literally his tire was just gone. Tyler Reddick also spun out and I think a couple of other drivers too. Ryan Blaney Bubba. where Quinn Hoff spun out, slammed, slammed the, into wall. the wall. Yeah. It was a lot of spinning. In fact, we ended up finishing the race with 11 cautions. Although a couple of them were kind of stupid in my opinion. Like the last one, I believe was the 14 spinning out. Although he just hit the wall and kept going, which I find quite weird because nothing really bad happened. Well, he slowed down. They were kind of just a couple strict yellows, but yeah, there were a lot of spinning out. And like the Xfinity race the day before had six cautions. Well, this one had 11. And I believe half of the cautions were just in the first stage. Yeah, that first stage took a while because it was caution after caution after caution. As for stage two, Kyle Larson ended up winning. And if you have been watching these last few weeks of NASCAR, Kyle Larson has literally been dominating. It's like he's got some kind of special NOS in the car. Like, I seriously think that this week he had some NOS button and he pressed it every time there was a restart. Because when he was up there, he just took off and no one was able to yeah, catch him. Yeah, within the first lap of, like, within a f- one lap of a restart, Kyle Larson was taking off. And then, like, like there was no passing Kyle Larson. In the start of the race, when Kyle Bush and Eric Amarola were battling, because those are the one two drivers, Amarola and then Bush, like they were battling. And then Kyle Larson just came, um, split the middle. And I was like, this is going to be a Kyle Larson race when that happened. I was like, I know it. It's Kyle Larson. As soon as win. I saw him just take off within those first couple laps, at that point, I just knew it was over. There was really no catching him. Yeah. It, it's, kind of amazing to have been at the track to see how dominant he has been and to see it in person was amazing it's like you guys said every time there was a caution if even if he got shuffled back right car stayed out or for whatever reason he wasn't the lead car going into the you know the restart it was a matter of a lap or two and you could just see him just cutting through traffic splitting you know, uh, a three wide or or going high or going low, just wherever the line was, he would take it and he was just faster by every, faster than everybody else. And then he would just separate like the other cars we watched. You know, again, you're watching this entire race and I I didn't just focus on the lead. I was watching cars throughout the the race and throughout the track. And you would see there were cars that were clearly faster and it would take them a couple of laps to to get in the right position, to finally pass someone. And even when they were passing them, 
it took a few, it felt like a couple of laps to get the car in the right spot to pass. And when they finally did, then they took off with Larson. It was just, it was amazing. Like he was just fast and, and he had felt, he had fallen back, I think outside the top five at one of the restarts. And I thought, well, maybe, you know, it was only a few more laps to the end of the stage. And I thought, well, maybe it'll be, you know, I think it was the end of stage one and maybe he won't finish, you know, in the top three because he was all the way and within a lap or two you I was like I think he's going to win the stage and he, he ended up not winning it um but it wasn't for a lack of trying trying he was he stage finished one in second or he finished in second in stage one mm-hmm. yeah he finished in second in stage one and then he won the last the last stage uh last two stages and swat so, yeah, it he was just dominant throughout the entire race Daniel swat had a good day yeah he did yeah I have to say that I thought the first two stages, though, for me, like I know you were saying that the car, there were cars that were faster and and they'd be able to move up. But I just felt like they weren't. I felt like when you got stuck in a position, there was just not much advancing. If you passed like one car, maybe, but there wasn't much passing. Like cars pretty much stayed around the same area. Now they got like shuffled around because of like pit stops and the cautions and all of that. Uh, but I just felt like they weren't moving. However, in stage three, I have to say that Daniel Suarez made the race a lot more enjoyable for me because, like you said, I wasn't focusing on Kyle Larson. Clearly, he was going to win the race unless something happened. But it was just really fun to see him working his way up. And he like towards the end, he slowly like picked off one car after another and worked his way from like, I think at one point he was like in 16th and he just started picking away at cars. And ended up making, uh, you know, breaking into the top ten, and uh, finishing like seven, finishing seventh, which was really exciting. I know that um, Kai, uh, Kurt Busch ran out of gas right, right at the end, right before the start finish line, and Daniel was able to pass him for the seventh place finish. But it was really exciting to see him, to see the speed that he had in the car, and to see not only the, the speed, but the fact that you can tell that he has talent. He has talent, and when you have talent and you have a car, a good yeah. car, you can do those things. And it was I, I was very excited to see that. That was that was the most enjoyable part of the race for me. Yeah, it was nice to see him. He did a couple of different times. So I it wasn't just at the end. Like he drove his way to the front, had a bad pit stop, or they must have set the car up not as well, and he fell back. He did outside. He fell back I think the top like twenty five, right. and I'm like, oh no, here we go. He's going backwards. And they they got a caution. I don't know if it was the end of the stage. I forget exactly what had happened, but he they they went in, they they tweaked the car again, and he got rolling. And you could just tell right after you can you you know when a car is gonna be moving forward right after the restart, how quickly he can uh maybe pick up a couple of positions. And he was able to do that. And then when the cars kind of got strung out, he started picking cars off one after another. And to your point. It was only one car that he really got a position on because of fuel mileage running out. And that was Kurt Busch at the very end. He worked his way into the top 10 on his own merit because he just was so strong. Yeah, definitely strong car. I also liked the fact that his car was purple. So he was really easy to yeah, it was very easy see on the track. Find him. Not only Daniel Suarez kind of had a run at the end too, but so did Joey Logano. Like I actually noticed him and 
Him and Joey, I think, were about the same spot. They were like 15 and 14. Joey was behind him. But even Joey went from like 15th and worked his way up into the top 10 as well. And I, that was pretty cool. I was just watching both of them the whole time. And I was pretty happy with how they finished. Honestly, at the end of the race, I knew Kyle Larson was going to win. So I was like, Mom, I was just watching Daniel Suarez. I was like, I looked at the leaderboard and I was like, oh, Suarez is an 11th. Then he was jump, hunting down Hamlin. They both passed Chase. Then he passed Hamlin for 10th or for for 9th. Then and then battled um, Christopher Bell to pass him for eighth, and then Kurt Busch ran out of gas, and I was like, oh, and I l- was lucked on the board on like the TV on there, and I was like, oh look, Kurt Busch is out of gas, and I was like wondering, wait, did Suarez pass him? Yeah. And then I saw he just crossed the line, and I looked at the leaderboard, and it said, oh my goodness, Suarez, Suarez got seventh. Yeah. So again. That's one of the advantages of going to a race like this and, and to sit where we sat to be able to see the entire track. Yes, Kyle Larson was dominant. He led 264 of the 300 laps. You, you cannot say dominant any more than that. However, I still enjoyed the entire race. I enjoyed it because I saw drivers moving up, changing their position several times throughout the race. So to be able to watch the different parts of the track and the different teams and and seeing uh passing and i actually disagree with you on this point i actually thought that there was a lot of passing outside of kyle larson so for the lead yes absolutely he was it like he it was it was the the most interesting thing would have been if he would gone in and pitted and something went wrong jack dropped or whatever and he dropped back like outside the top 10 he would have still won he still would have won but it would have been a lot more interesting to see is he going to make it is he going to be able to track his way through traffic and he had this, such a dominant car i have no doubt that he would have done that um that was outside of that happening we all knew pretty clearly Kyle Larson was the class of the field but to be able to watch a lot of the other drivers moving around changing positions um you know if you look at the top 10 in the end of the first uh stage the second stage and then the end of the race there were a lot of cars that were moved around i mean think of another driver who was running second for quite a while i was actually surprised what what was the 47th what was he doing he was running up there rookie stenthouse well actually when it well i was actually happy for stenthouse yeah he was doing pretty good running second. And isn't he known for dirt dirt track racing and, you know, road course racing? And the reason I bring that up is because Karen had mentioned earlier there was a special compound that they put on the track. Because this like is a, a resin. Like a resin. This is a special concrete track. And it was really hot. And they also had small spoilers and a lot of horsepower. So basically what that meant, it, the cars were difficult to drive. And you had they had to wheel those cars around. So only the top guys that could could deal with the car that could be a little bit loose and sliding all over. And that's why you had some of the drivers that you did work their way to the front. And you saw a mix of those drivers. And I'm not surprised that Joey Logano late in the race was able to wheel his car to the front. I'm not surprised that um, Danny Suarez was able to do it because, I again, we think he's an underrated driver. We really think he's got a lot of talent. Kevin Harvick, again driving his way to the front. Uh, and so again, a lot of, lot of talented drivers were able to show what they had. Um, even Austin Dillon running second at the end of stage two, he was up there, uh, but he eventually did fall back. I think where did Austin finish? Classic. Classic what? Classic Austin. 
No, he finished 12th, so not too bad, but he was running top 10 uh, earlier in the race. And Cole Custard, unfortunately, did not have a good day. He, like, spun out, went to the garage, came back out. He finished the race in 30th and only did 200, uh, 250 laps out of the 300 laps. 252 out of 300? Yeah. Yeah, again, we were hoping to see him do better, but you know what? It it happens. You're going to have bad weeks, but he, he showed something qualified in the top 10. So that's, that's pretty good. There's not a lot, there's not been a lot of qualifying this year. So that was still pretty good. It was interesting to see, um, two of the, um, Stuart Haas cars finish in the top five, not because they're not capable of it. It's just that we haven't seen Stuart Haas, you know, um, as dominant as they have been in the past. So it was, um, it, it was just like a, it was almost weird or different to see some of the cars up in the top 10 and then some of our, like the stronger drivers that we're used to seeing up at the front like Joey Logano and Kyle Busch and you know Martin Truix and Denny Hamlin they were all like 10 and back so um yeah so it was it was different but it was kind of nice to see some other cars up there Ricky Stenhouse finishing up there and um Ross Chastain that yeah, was another one finishing second. second so again you know one of those it was new for everybody so that's I, I like the idea of nobody really having true experience. You definitely see different drivers, a lot of talent uh, that was on the track and, and did really well. So, Johan, why don't you take us through the top five for this week's race at Nashville? The top five was Kevin Harvick in fifth, Eric Amarillo in fourth, third was William Byron, second was Ross Chastain, and first was Kyle Larson. So why don't you tell us how we all did from a race picks and you go first, since I think you're going to be pretty excited about the results. Honestly, I picked Kyle Larson. When we did race picks, I was so nervous. Like when mom said like she was going to pick a Hendrick car, I was nervous that she was going to pick Kyle Larson. And but then she said Chase and I was like, ooh. And I was with Gio was gonna pick Kyle Larson, but he ended up not. And I was happy. And so I picked Kyle Larson because he was the dominant car of the season. I'm already making my championship prediction. He's gonna win the championship. Wow, whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, we're we're halfway through the season, but I'm not gonna disagree necessarily. Uh he is showing a lot of strength. But let's get through the dog days of summer before we can say for sure he's gonna be the guy. So when I made my picks last week, I did want to go with Kyle Larson, but I was like, nah, I don't know that he's going to actually win again. So I'm going to go with another Hendricks car because they're very dominant. They have strong cars this season. And so I chose Chase Elliott. I would have never thought that he would have finished where he finished, let alone getting penalized. So I'm actually very disappointed that I didn't get any points this week. Like, how can Chase Elliott not get any points? This I think week? what the only thing that would have been worse is had he finished in the top 10 or top five and then he got penalized. <laughs> yeah. You would not have been happy about that. Uh, and then I had I had picked uh, Kyle, uh, Kyle Bush. And had this been an Xfinity podcast, Xfinity race series podcast, I would have gotten three points because he won the race and I was feeling really good on Sunday. He and got a replacement trophy, a uh, replacement guitar. Yes, he did. And I I wanted, that was the part of the reason why I picked him, right? I wanted to see what would he do if he won and got a guitar, which he did in the Xfinity race. And he actually mocked himself by pretending like he was going to break the guitar. And then, of course, he thought the better of it and ended up just 
air strumming it and, and pretending like he was playing uh, and he wanted to keep this one. And so and that was a significant win because of what was that? His number. Oh, yeah. His one number 100 win in the Xfinity series. So that's a that was a big deal for him. So I thought maybe that magic would carry on to Sunday. But again, nobody had anything for Kyle Larson, although Kyle Busch was up there. He had times where I felt like maybe he's going to pull out a top five and then ended up falling back, but was able to work his way up to 11th. I'm like one more spot and I would have gotten points. But uh, anyway, but who did you pick, uh, Giovanni? Well, I picked Martin Truex Jr. And I'm very disappointed with how he did this race. He got me zero points, finishing 22nd. So very disappointing. My disappointment is immeasurable and my day is ruined. What made you pick Martin Truex Jr.? I don't know. I thought he was going to do good. Like, have why you, didn't you have pick you not Joey? Been following him because it was an off week. He picks either Joey or Martin <laughs> Truex Jr. So I'm predicting that he's probably going to pick, pick Joey, Joey for, like, for, for Pocono. Race. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, that's actually what I was going to pick. Well, we'll see. <laughs> so I ended up picking Kevin Harvick and my lucky streak is continuing because I got two points thanks to Kevin Harvick's fifth place finish. So you guys thought I was cursed and that I wasn't going to be able to do anything this season. Well, now I'm back and I'm coming for your positions. Yeah, I don't think so. Well, I would say about Kevin Harvick and, and Eric Amarola showing some speed for Stuart Haas. So maybe they could be uh, drivers that we could start looking at for our race picks going in the future. All right. Speaking of Nashville, we actually went there with some very close friends. And now me, Gio and Johan are going to interview them. I'd like to introduce onto the show our good friends, Brayden, Cooper, Gavin, and Finley. Welcome aboard, guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's great. Thank you. Thanks. So to begin, let's start with question one. What exactly was your first impression when you guys arrived on the track in the morning? I was like, um, what in the world is this giant building doing out in the middle of nowhere? I did not know that we had a track like that anywhere in Tennessee. Honestly, actually, a bunch of tracks are in the middle of nowhere. Oh, wow. I did not know that. Yeah, there were so many people and the experience was just great seeing all the merch haulers and everything. I had no clue what was happening, really. I was excited, but I have to say I was really hot. It was hot. How would you compare the NASCAR experience to an NFL experience? I would say that it's kind of similar, but at the same time, like totally different. Because like at an NFL stadium, there's a ton of people, but we're all pretty close together compared to NASCAR where there's a giant track. And there's a lot of people in the grandstands and on the stands next to the grandstands. But then there's also tons of RVs and all these different, like, tons of crews in the middle. Like, there isn't just two teams. It's kind of cool to see, like, all the different drivers. I really like how you could see the drivers. And in the NFL, you usually can't see the players. Yeah, like, Johan even got to actually just see Alex Bowman walking by in jeans and a t-shirt. Just literally walking by inside or under the grandstands, which, like... You know, it's definitely a lot more different than an NFL stadium where you would normally have all of the players in the locker rooms. 
literally, um, I was just eating popcorn, and then I see um, Alex Bowman's face walking by in, al- in jeans and then an ally shirt, and I'm like, oh, good luck out there, Alex. Yeah, there's a bunch of fans at both events, but I think it was awesome how NASCAR, like, you tailgate and stuff in the NFL, but it's like a whole separate event before the race. I have to agree with Brayden. It's definitely a lot more different, but I think the experience is much better. What was your favorite part of the experience? I have to say the speed now, I thought it was really fun, and I really hope to go there again soon. I really like the merch haulers, and definitely the race was the best. I liked all the events before the race, like there were some wheels you could spin and win awesome prizes and get some free stuff at the stands. I liked that um, we could like wear headsets and hear the broadcast like you would see it on TV with all like the in-depth analysis and stuff. But also we would get to be there and actually see the cars. So it was like the best of both worlds, you know, how you can watch it and get all the analysis on the TV, but you also get to be there. What was your least favorite part of the race experience? Probably all the shirtless people walking around. <laughs> uh, that, that's wolf, Gavin. That's, that's wolf. <laughs> By far, my least favorite part of the experience was uh, how hot it was. Yeah, it was very, very hot. That That's probably the same for me which you can't really control it, but um, it was nice under the grandstands. We got to uh, get a little bit cooler. Yeah, luckily because of the booth in the back, the sun eventually went down. My least favorite part, I had to agree with Cooper and Brayden. Definitely the heat. It was definitely overheated. Probably one of the most hottest days. So, guys, what was it like to, you know, see the cars, all 39 of them on the field, get up to speed at the same time? It was very, very loud. It was like, it was so loud, like during the pace lap, you know, it wasn't too loud and you didn't really feel like you had to wear uh, ear protection. But then when they all revved up, you really needed those headphones. And like the entire grandstand, you could feel the rumble under your feet. And it was just like so loud and you could feel it. Yeah, I have to agree with Brayden, and also, it was so loud. I think if you didn't have the headsets, I think you wouldn't enjoy it as much. Yeah, I've seen it on TV before, but nothing compares to the revving of those engines. Yeah, it's definitely much louder if you're actually there. I agree. So, Brayden, you are a bit of a filmmaker. What did you think about filming the experience? Um, I really liked it because there was a bunch of different settings to film and different lightings and different angles that you can get. Like from a filmmaking perspective, like the contrasts of different areas and the sharp lighting from the booth as the sun was setting, it it was it was a great place to film. Also, there were so many different events that um, and all these different things to capture. Uh, I'd say it's a great place for any filmmaker to uh, go to make content or, yeah, whatever they're going to make. Would you want to come back? I would say definitely yes. I think we need to bring some, like, fans or something to cool down, but I would definitely say yes, 100%.
Yeah, I would definitely want to come back. Next time, I could be a lot more prepared, but it was an awesome experience. Yeah, I would also definitely come back, but we should probably be more prepared and bring something to cool off. I would definitely come back like everyone else that's maybe on a cool little day or be more prepared like they said. So not only is this track, you know, a bit unique since it finally came back, but this one is a bit of an intermediate track, which means it's about in the middle range of the track. So there's different road courses, super speedways, short tracks, and all these other types of tracks, even the new classification of the Roval from Daytona and Charlotte, and even Indianapolis this season. So would you guys ever like to go to any other tracks? I think definitely yes, because with other sports like basketball, you're seeing the same game even if you go to different arenas and the experience doesn't change a whole lot. Whereas with these tracks, you get a totally different experience depending on the track. Like some tracks you could be in direct sunlight and other tracks there could be a canopy. Other Like the grandstands change, all this different stuff. And also the game changes. Like some tracks, the different shape of the track, the length of the track is going to affect how these drivers drive. And so you want to kind of see different um from different tracks uh how these drivers are going to drive and i think that could make it really exciting to go to different tracks yeah i agree i would definitely like to see different tracks and everything but if i go to a different track i would definitely want to be inside or with shade um, it's definitely a totally different experience if you go to any different tracks because they're all different. I would definitely want to travel around, see the different tracks and stuff, but also how Brain was talking about the game. I also think it's awesome how there's like no technical home field advantage. So all the drivers have an equal chance to win. So it's a really cool sport. Yeah. Even if, like, some drivers are from that state or from that track, you know, like, they grew up on that, they raced it a lot, there really is no advantage because everyone, it's just, like, depends on what your car gets, depends on how you run, depends on how the team runs. There's a lot of conditions and factors that goes into it, so it's definitely unique every time. And honestly, if there's a type of track you guys should go to, it should be the plate tracks, and there's different tracks that are fun, so... You guys should go to different tracks. And and one like possibly if we go to the like the Daytona 500, what if you guys came here cuz came cuz like it's really fun like there are three wide racing and this is like more pack racing. Anybody can win on this track. And like there's big wrecks. Yeah, I think that would be really fun. That'd be awesome. Thanks for the advice. So, guys, thank you for coming on to the podcast. Thank you for uh, coming with us to the race. It was a lot of fun. Thank you for letting us interview you and sharing your thoughts. Thanks for having us on the podcast. The race was a whole lot of fun. We got to do it again. Yeah, the race was awesome. This whole podcast experience is also awesome. Thanks for having us, guys. Yeah, thanks for letting us be on the podcast. And this the race was awesome. Yeah, I have to agree with everyone else. It was really great. I like being on the podcast. Thanks for having us. Bye. And with that, we'll move on to our next segment. So for our next segment of the show, Racing Through Life, we wanted to actually interview um, our family friend, Rebecca, 
who's joining us for the pot on the podcast for the very first time. And so first off, thank you for for hosting us and uh, and also allowing us to host you on the podcast. So Absolutely. Welcome. It's my pleasure. I'm excited. So Rebecca, as the resident expert of the city of Nashville, tell our listeners your favorite part about living in Nashville and your favorite part for like visitors when they come to see the city of Nashville. So as a resident, I have to say the city is so dynamic. It is constantly changing. There's so much art and music. You know, everyone, of course, thinks about the music scene and the amazing concerts and live music down on Broadway. Um, that is definitely a staple um, in this city. But there is so much more. Pretty much anything in the world of art can be found here. There's amazing food, restaurants. There's incredible street art like murals. People don't realize that we have hundreds of murals here and they're constantly changing. Like I actually will go look for one specifically and realize, oh, wow, it's been changed. A new artist has come and done something different. Um, they keep it very current. They're very um, heartfelt. There's actually murals that are painted all the time in um, com to commemorate things or, you know, um, our city has been hit by multiple natural disasters within the last few years and murals will be damaged or destroyed and they're painted to, to commemorate something. And this most recent that I've seen is the frontline workers. There's an amazing mural downtown that was painted just in honor of the frontline workers and all the work that they've done. That's actually really cool. About those murals, uh, are they in certain parts of the city or is it pretty much spread out? It's incredible. It's everywhere. Um, I've recently really gained a new interest, a newfound interest in them. And they are literally everywhere on the sides of businesses. Um, there's There are older ones that have remained, you know, and stayed the test of time. But like I said, there are new ones all the time. But they are spread entirely across the city. There is not a space that can't be found. That's so cool. Uh, yeah. You don't think about Na uh, Nashville being this this cultural center of art beyond the music. So it's really cool to see that there is this other very depth side of the city that a lot of people don't get to recognize. So that's pretty cool that you're bringing a little bit of a light to that. So we've been friends a really long time and you know <laughs> that we have been NASCAR fans for a very long time as well. And you've been to our house and you've seen us watching these races. But what was it like to actually be at the race in person? What was that experience like? Share, the, share your thoughts about that. I have to tell you, this is not news to you. I'm completely or was completely naive to the sport. Like, I will say I have sat through many a race with you and seen it on TV and is something that I would I would pay attention to, but you know I'd always have my phone out <laughs> uh, because it's just different. There's just something different about it. But being at the track was amazing. It was an entirely different, like palpable experience. Like you can feel it in your soul, literally. Those cars, those engines rev up, and you can feel it. Um, it was just there was an energy to it that was you just. You can't replicate that on TV. So it was it was definitely an experience that um, exceeded my expectation. Now you put a unique um, a unique spin on this experience at NASCAR that I myself haven't had before. <laughs> Can you tell our listeners what this was? And some of you listening, you might when she talks about it, you'll be like, I saw you guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah, so pretty much um, 
I have a very deep-rooted interest in fashion. Um, For years, I have found ways to sort of weave that interest into our life. And I decided that because I love you guys and I love your podcast and I I think it was such a neat opportunity, I created um, a design with my friend, uh, Jenica, and we created a dress that happened to be themed for NASCAR and themed for the Let's Go Racing Family podcast. So we had custom dresses. <laughs> Which I will say, surprisingly, we got a, a lot of attention. I had lots of people come up to me and say, oh my word, that's such a cute dress. You don't normally see women wearing dresses at NASCAR races, but there were lots of people who were very intrigued by our outfits and we got really great compliments. I have to admit, I was a little nervous only because, you know, I, you have a picture in your mind of what other people might be you know, look like or be wearing or might be doing and wearing that dress, I thought, okay, are we going to just stand out? Are people going to look at us like, really? Are you actually here for a race or like what? But I think it was, I mean, it was super comfortable and functional. And I think that part of pulling off um, fashion, pulling off something that's uniquely you is feeling confident in it. And once we got there and really started having people say, wow, that's amazing. You look great. Oh, that's such a fun dress. It really just fed my energy and really reiterated in my mind, like, all right, this was awesome. This was so fun. I'm so glad we did it. And just to describe for our listeners again, because it's not a video podcast. Sure. It's uh, it was, it was, there were the black dresses. There were three of them, right? It was, it was the two of you. And Finley, our yes, star, yes, <laughs> all had matching dresses, and it was trimmed out in checkered flag pattern, which was it's it's striking, right? You see it, and you're like, oh my gosh, that's like a race dress. Yeah, but you have to really, honestly, the real like take home moment is the full circle skirt. I know that you probably didn't notice, but the movement on a full circle sp- skirt, especially when you spin, ah, oh, it's it's like it's magic. I'm telling you. <laughs> Well, there were a lot of fans of, of of you guys, and I think that was actually what started a lot of the conversation with different fans was they immediately noticed the dress. Uh, and uh, and then, of course, you know, all the guys, we all had Let's Go Racing T-shirts you had made up for everybody. So that was really cool, too. Uh, so, no, it was it was a very unique way of experiencing the race. And that's something that you naturally do uh, on your own creator channel. You are creator. Uh, creating, you know, experiences and showcasing that to your fans and your followers. So can you tell us a little bit about that and what your handle is and, sure, and what absolutely. your passions are? Absolutely. Okay. So about two years ago, I finally answered the call. Now I say this because um, I sort of was doing all the things that um, – that creators do, but never really documented it in a way. I mean, I've always taken lots of pictures and things like that, but so many of my friends, including you guys, um, encouraged me to just put it out there and find a community of people that shared my passions and interests. So I started an Instagram page. Um, My handle is Music City Mouse Couture, Music City being Nashville, and Mouse being being a lot of um, Disney content, but I've definitely found other avenues too and other ways um, throughout my life to sort of weave it in. But it's been really neat to me to find a community of of online friends and a community of, of many people who have become like in real life friends that I share passion. So um, through the years, I love to create like themed custom parties. Like we've already talked about the fashion. Um, there's pretty much no event that we 
go to that we aren't themed somehow um, in the sense I don't necessarily always create something custom, but I love to coordinate colors or something because I'm going to tell you it's about the pictures. <laughs> Um, but it's so amazing to have this catalog of memories with my family. I mean, really, that's what it's all about. You know, I, I know I mentioned um, the tie to Disney, but really at the end of the day, it's making memories with my family that really drew me to this. And now I actually have like a catalog of them that I can go back and really relive those moments in the most vivid and bright um, ways imaginable. And as an artist, I can't deny that the beauty of seeing it all so succinctly categorized <laughs> in that little grid makes me happy. That's awesome. Yeah. So make sure any of our followers, you got to search her out, Music City Mouse Couture on Instagram and uh, potentially on other on other social platforms. But definitely Instagram. That's where it's at. She's got a lot of great reels and uh, a lot of great content on pretty much daily, right? Yeah. Yeah, I try. I, you know, um, I try to set aside family time on the weekends, but I try to post at least five or six times a week and just kind of keep the the content current. And it helps me. It has an amazing creative outlet for me. It is literally just a hobby at this point, but the passion is most certainly there. Well, thank you so much for those outfits. They were very cute. Like I said, that's something that I would have never thought about going to a NASCAR race in themed outfits. We've done several other things. We've gone, you know, theme parks and stuff. But this was really fun. It was really great to see people's reaction to this fashion brought to NASCAR. Um, and so with that, would you come back again? And do you want to see other NASCAR tracks? Absolutely. Um, you know, of course, Nashville is my home. It will always have my heart. And so I did have a vested interest in this race and this track, especially knowing that, you know, it came back after such a long hiatus of time. Um, that was definitely um, near and dear to my heart. But absolutely, especially with you guys, um, I would most certainly do it again. But it really piqued my interest to be like, hey, I mean, like I said, I'm totally naive to the sport. I really thought there's like maybe like a couple races a year. I mean, I realized it's an ongoing sport, but I really have not ever seen the side that I saw with you guys and being at the track and really seeing the passion. The fans have a passion. It's like I said, the word palpable keeps coming to mind because it's literally an experience that you can feel in the core of your being, be it the race cars, you know, whizzing by you and the roar of their engine and the the cheer of the crowd. It's definitely an experience. So absolutely. Yeah, it definitely is. And you're not the only one. I used to, before Tony and I got together, I used to always watch the Daytona 500. I knew that was on. That was like the Super Bowl of yeah. racing. And so I always watched it, but I didn't really know that there was an entire season, you know, after that. But then when Tony and I got together and he was working for a company that sponsored a team, I um, I got to go to the Pepsi 400. That was my very first NASCAR race. And it was a completely different experience. Like, that, I think, is where my love for NASCAR began because, like you said, it was that palpable experience that the roar of the car, especially at the Daytona um, Speedway, was just an experience that I will never forget. Yeah, I can definitely see. I can see that for sure. So there's actually 36 races. Oh, my. And there's over 20 different NASCAR Cup Series tracks uh, across the country. So checkbox on one of them. <laughs> we got 20 more to go. I had no idea, but that's amazing. Yeah. And th what's cool about it, and we talked about it with the kids uh, earlier, that 
there are different types of tracks and different types of racing. This is a intermediate track, a one and a half, nearly one and a half miles, 1.3 miles. Daytona, the, the Super Bowl, you know, the biggest track, one of the, the, the top tracks in all of NASCAR is a two and a half mile track, but with really high bankings, which basically means they don't touch the brake. So it's a different type of race and the speeds and the way that they're bunched together. And then there's road courses where there's a lot of turns and, and then there's short track racing, which uh, we talked about the other night about Bristol. This is 1.3 miles, which is the Nashville Super Speedway. Bristol's a half a mile. So imagine a half a mile. They call it Thunder Valley because of the sound. And so anyway, a lot of really cool and unique experiences for you guys, hopefully in the future. So thank Sounds you. Sounds good to me. Thank Absolutely. you for coming with us. And thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Sebastian, where are we going next week? Next week, we are doing the Pocono Double. 325 miles on Saturday and then 350 miles on Sunday. So two races and it's going to be very fun. And now let's get into our race picks for the for these two. It's the Let's Go Racing Family Picks of the Week. All right, as Sebastian said, this is the Pocono Double, second year in a row where they're going to run two Cup Series races on back-to-back days, Saturday and Sunday. So whoever we pick today will be our race pick for both of those races. Karen, you're leading. Who are you picking to win the Pocono Double All this right. weekend? I'm going out on a limb here, and I'm going to pick one of the two wonders from last year. So I'm hoping that he can get his first win of this season. I'm going to go with the number four of Kevin Harvick. Oh, wow. Kyle Larson's out there and you decide to go with Kevin Harvick. That's awesome. He can't win another race. Because I'm picking him to win one of those two races and finish in the top five. I'm going with Kyle Larson. He's going to win both. We shall see. Johan, who are you picking to win at the Pocono Double? I got a trick up my sleeve. I was going to pick Logano, but then I looked at his stats. Not so good. But then I looked at Denny Hamlin's. He has over six wins at this track. He won the second doubleheader race last year. How about the number 11 FedEx Toyota gets it done? Wow, Denny Hamlin. All right. He was one I was thinking that might wake up now that we're getting into the summer stretch of NASCAR. All right, Giovanni, who are you picking to win at the Pocono Dome? I think you already know. I hope he beats the 11, and we'll see how stats really matter, Johan. Put me down for Joey Logano. All right, Joey Logano for the Joey Logano fan club. Sebastian, why don't you bring us home? Who are you picking to win? All right, I hope to continue my streak by getting a lot of points this week. And so I'm going to go with a three-time winner at this track and someone who has been up in battling for the wins at Pocono. I'm going with the number 18, Kyle Busch. Kyle Busch. All right. No one picked Ryan Blaney. No one picked Ryan Blaney. Well, we'll see what happens, but those are our picks for Pocono this weekend. This episode is fun. I can't wait for next week and uh, Nashville. Let's hope it comes next year. And Gio, why don't you take us out?
that's going to wrap up this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening on in. Please consider subscribing, checking out all of our socials, and downloading our podcast episodes. Let's go family. Out. <laughs>